seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless this reading of his word. In ancient England, when it was called Northumbria, Edwin was king of the nation. It was then that the first Christian missionaries set foot on British soil. That night, the great hall was alight with torches throughout. The hall was filled with those who came to hear what these missionaries had to say. They spoke. They told about Christ, how God sent him into the world to bring about reconciliation between him and all his children. They told about the beautiful teachings that Jesus shared during his lifetime. And then finally they told about the love of God that was so great that his son went to the cross and gave his life in pain and agony so that that love could be revealed and that reconciliation could take place between God and his children. When the missionaries had finished and sat down, one of the noblemen stood up, and as the light played upon his face, he turned to the missionaries and he said, All that you have said is good, but can your new religion answer the question we want answered most? Is there anything beyond death? He said, often a sparrow will fly out of the darkness through the window into this great hall, and for a while it will dart about under the light and the warmth, and then in the far end of the hall will fly through the window out into the darkness. And this is like the soul of men. It comes into the world out of the unknown, spends a period of time under the warmth and the light of life, and then suddenly darts through the window out into the darkness again. Tell us, does your new religion give us an answer as to what lies beyond death? 
that question most likely has been the most asked question of all questions. I'm sure it dated back to the time of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve stood there in grief looking upon the prostrate body of their son lying cold upon the warm earth as they looked into the face of Abel upon their lips must have been the question is this all there is or is there more that question must have been framed by David as he wept over the death of his son Absalom and cried out in words that would pierce the hearts of all who read, O Absalom, my son, my son, if only I could have died for you. With such love and grief, there must have been the question, if a man lives and dies, is that all there is? Job, sitting upon the ash heap, asked point blank, If a man die, shall he live again? And that question must have been raised by the mothers of Bethlehem when Herod sent his troops into that village, rushed into the homes, dragged from the arms of the mothers the little children and dashed them to their deaths upon the stone pavements. And in their grief, they must have wanted more. I think that question was upon the lips of Mary as she knelt on Golgotha. Grief having pierced her heart, tears streaming down her face, looking up, at the form of her son hanging on a cross, watching his life ebb from his body, knowing the goodness that was in her son, knowing the dreams that were in his heart, knowing through what trials he had come, she must have asked, is this all there is? Or is there more? And so the question is raised, repeatedly in our minds, if a person dies, shall he live again? And the answer is unequivocally, yes. There are so many intimations of immortality, signs that there must be something beyond this life. Such a rising of hope, such an expression of promise, Talents and gifts so richly given, these cannot depart in just a short period of time. One who created us must have had a vision of something far greater than the brevity of time in which so much is born and lost. There are evidences of immortality in every range of our thinking, from the aesthetics to common sense and for the realization that there is no greater waste than that which would be realized if the life of a person ends after such a brief pilgrimage. But we don't have to have intimations of immortality. We have certainties in mortality. Jesus said, If you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. 
Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. These are the promises of our Lord. One who knows, and these are the assurances that come from him. We want greater proof. More than simply the words of a person. And so he gives it to us. Christ makes the promises of immortality contingent upon one thing. The proof of his own life beyond death. He said, because I live, you will live also. If you can prove that I live beyond death, that's the proof that you will live beyond death. And so he acted out that incident in history that gives us proof beyond doubt that life is forever. On the resurrection of our Lord, there were many eyewitness accounts. And those eyewitness accounts of weathered time, there were far more intent upon disproving the resurrection of our Lord than there were on proving it, but none were able to do so. The changed character of the persons who met the risen Christ is full evidence upon the fact that what they said is true. They who lacked courage and power while they were with our Lord found it after he had left them. Contrary to all aspects of nature, our strength comes when we stand with the leader who gives us strength. But the strength of the disciples came after he had left them. But only after they had encountered him in his resurrection. His resurrection is true and sure. And the importance of that for our own beliefs and hope is so great that Paul went so far as to say, if Christ be not risen from the dead, then all of our hopes are in vain. Our faith is to naught. We have nothing to live by. But was there a greater evidence of the risen Lord than the life of Paul, a greater courage in the living of his life, one who started out to destroy the very thing that he gave his life to uphold, and that came about only after he had encountered the risen Christ. And so the proof of our resurrection is in the proof of his resurrection and the promise from him, because I live, you will live also. Life is forever. It is the question about life that coincides with the question about death. Death is not an enemy come to take away from us that which is precious. Death is a natural ending to a pilgrimage here on earth. It is a gate through which those whom we have lost have passed and a gate through which each of us will pass. In all of history, there has not been one who has lived before us that escaped walking through that gateway with the exception of Enoch who walked with God and then was no more because God took him. 
for all others, there was that transition through the gate. And it is the transition through which all of us will ultimately pass. We do not single out persons to say death came to them as though others have been denied that experience. But it is universal. In that sense, we all are created equal. For from the moment of our birth, we begin the pilgrimage that leads toward that gate. The journey differs for each of us. For some, it is rocky, filled with troubles and despair. Some get through that journey without much difficulties. And we're prone to ask, why me, when there are difficulties that come into our lives, some of us try to use it as a leverage against God because He doesn't give us the things we want and the way that we want them. Art Linkletter was the, was the son of a minister, a very strong fundamentalist minister who made such demands upon his son that his son rebelled against them. And as a young man left home and became a hobo upon the rails, his story was told in this morning's newspaper. He learned after a while that riding the rails as a hobo was not what life offered. And so he returned and went to college in order to prepare for a career. And it was there that he learned he had gifts in communication on radio and television. And he became the radio and television star that he was. It looked as though the world had become his oyster acclaimed, popular among all the people of America, so reflective of the very finest that a person can bring into his life. He was married to a woman to whom he has been married for over a half century. When one reads so much of marriages in, ho in Hollywood breaking up, his was the exception. He said they took every care to see that the children were reared with principles and opportunities so that they could make the most out of their lives. And in 1969, during the time when so many youth were taking LSD and other drugs, his young daughter took LSD and hallucinated and threw herself out of a six-story building where she lived to her death. And the grief was great. Shortly before that, the son-in-law, the man married to his eldest daughter, had taken a gun and had snuffed out his own life, leaving his wife a widow, bringing grief to the family. And then in 1980, his 35-year-old son was killed in an automobile accident. Here, the family that he had reared with such care and distinction were all suffering from the darts of misfortune and bringing grief into his life. But he said, despite all the grief through which I've gone, I'm still an optimist. Life is great. From the moment of his daughter's death, he set out as a crusader against the use of drugs and continues up until the present time. He returned to his faith through the grief that came into his life. He had rejected it as a child, seeing it at a far distance through the life of his father. He rejected the strict fundamentalism that his father lived by. But now, faced with grief, he returned to the faith that he had left. And he said, my faith grew 
and I found greater fulfillment in my faith as the years have passed. And he said, I'm a happy man. After the years of his living, positive, affirmative, and happy in spite of the fact that his life was marked with such loss and grief. Not every one of us goes through life unscathed. Most of us suffer pain and anxieties and fears and hurts. It's not reflective of God. It's reflective of life. Each of us has the journey to take, and it is life that calls the game plan, calls the plays of which we become a part. God does not steer us through unscathed. The greatest saints have been those who have suffered most. Life is lived out by the natural laws in which the world has been created. And if we adopt bad habits, then we may suffer from the abuse of our bodies that those bad habits bring. If we drug our minds and then we act in ways that are destructive to ourselves, it isn't God punishing us, it's allowing natural things to act out naturally. Many times we're at the wrong place at the right time. And as a result of the actions of other people, then we become the victims and we suffer because of it. The one place that we cannot blame God is in the living of our lives and the circumstances that come because we live in an imperfect world and we live by the laws of an imperfect world. But it is what lies beyond this life that really matters. All that we have been told by Christ and others who have been inspired of God reveals that life beyond this is far greater than anything that we can imagine, far greater than this life. Paul said, I have not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the hearts of men that which God has prepared for those who love him. What a magnificent promise, almost enough to cause a driving urge to hurry through that gate to get what's out there. It's so magnificent. It is in the breaking of ties with whom we live and love for a moment that makes death distasteful, not the act of death itself. If we have the faith in Christ that he offers, for the atheist, the gate is rigid. Beyond that gate is nothing. And when one passes through, then it's oblivion, as though nothing ever existed. What a terrible attitude with which one faces life if one does not believe in God. If one believes in God but does not believe in Christ, then there's a great big question mark with the gate what lies beyond, nobody knows. It might be good, it might be bad, it might be emptiness. There's no way for us to know. If one believes in God, then there are possibilities, but we have no way of knowing what those possibilities are. But if we believe in Christ, we have no doubts. We have no anxieties. Because beyond that gate is life beyond our imagination. It is the climate in which God himself lives far beyond anything we can imagine in this world. 
and in this life. And so we who watch those we love pass through that gate can only applaud a God who is so loving that he has laid treasures up for them. Their lives are far better than they knew here. The promises are far greater than anything imagined in this life. It is only the pain of separation that keeps us from fully celebrating the life that has been allowed them when they pass through the gate. Christ is the first fruits of all who slept to give us proof that the promise of eternal life is not vain nor empty, that when God created us, he created us for eternity. Some in the pilgrimage, in the blossom of childhood, little Chuck lived for such a brief period of time, but it was a time in which he faced difficulties that most of us never faced, and it allowed him to mature in ways that we may never mature, and he was ushered into the life in which the fullness that can only be imagined was granted. Jinzi was just coming out of her teen years, facing maturity when in a moment her life was snuffed out. And so much we can imagine denied her, and yet it is not the length of a person's life that is important. It's what lies beyond the gate that's important, and the grief rests in our loss, in separation, and not the suffering, the pain that comes to those who pass through the gate, for theirs is a coronation of victory. And the others of our congregation, most of whom had come into the ripened years of their lives, had lived a life that was long, many ready to live, having, leave, having said, I've lived up life and I want to go on to something better. And so we grieve when death comes at the beginning, and we grieve when death comes at the end. But the measure of a person's life is not the number of years, but it is in the promises that God has made to those who love Him. Today, we honor and celebrate the lives of those who have slipped out of our midst in the past year, it is not to mourn their passing, but to celebrate their victory, to assuage our grief with the realization and the understanding that it is far better with them than we can ever know. And their reward is the reward for which we ourselves strive. And then we shall be together where there will never be separation again. Amen.
the names of the members of this congregation who have made that transition within the past year. Ida Ruth Lewis, Polly Campbell, Isla McFarland, Alex Fincher, Blanche Hawk, Ethel Franks Cole, Hattie Balch, Jess Balch, Nina Bessie Smith, Jeffrey Charles Chuck Manus, Basil Hickson, Catherine Balch, Geraldine Johnson, Jency Smith, H.C. Buster Roberts. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray for your human family everywhere. Grant that all who are baptized into Christ may faithfully serve you. We pray for all bishops, pastors, and deacons. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. Let us pray for our own needs and the needs of others. O oh God of both the living and the dead, we praise your holy name for all your servants who have finished their course in faith, especially those who have been named here. We pray that, encouraged by their example and strengthened by their fellowship, we may be partakers with them of the inheritance of the saints in light through the merits of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are a fellowship, a family, brothers and sisters to Christ, children of God. It is right that we should affirm that fellowship at all times and in many ways. The passing of the peace is one of these. Let us now turn to one another and offer signs of reconciliation and love. As we share, the peace of the Lord be with you. And the response and with you. 